welcome into the 30 for 30 club podcast i'm your host john thorpe joined as always by my lovely co-host mr robert nemeth that's me robert what's me. your what's your middle name i don't think i've ever called you robert before this is odd. what's your middle it's name oh once you guess and then i'll tell you it's um, irish give me a middle can you give me an initial sure s Ooh, uh, S. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind when you say Irish is O'Shaughnessy, but that well, technically starts with an O. Well, you're not Sean? too far off. You said Sean? Sean. It's Sean. Yep, it's Sean. I mean, I give you so many I hints. Don't, I don't think I've ever known that about you. I mean, I don't know what your middle name is. What's your middle name? William. William. Actually, you might have told me that. You might have told me that. Wow, John William. Way to have an original name. Jonathan Williams. Sorry. Sorry. Apologize. It is far more diverse now. Well, now the listeners know more about us than we ever thought they would. I know. We're all learning together. Let us grow. Um, how was your week, Robert, Sean? Uh, well, <laughs> it was started off pretty good, and then it ended kind of shitty, but we'll get into that. Uh, a lot of homework. We were talking about that before we hit record. I spent 10 hours on Friday working on homework and um, if I hadn't said already, I'm studying to become a software developer. So I'm attending a boot camp. So it's a lot of, a lot of computer work, a lot of coding. And uh, so, yeah, I just really, I had to catch up cause I had started a new job and kind of fallen behind a little bit. And so I really put the hours in this week. So yeah, just a lot of computer work, a lot of coding, um, but I'm caught up and I feel pretty good about things. And um, yeah. A lot of isolation. <laughs> My partner's gone and I don't I don't oh, do no. shit. All right. Well make sure you get outside, you your give your eyes a break. Yeah. Look you, at the well, actual sky. You know, one of the things too is like I I wanted to go to for a walk a couple times when it was quote unquote nice out, but we had the worst air quality in the world. So it just didn't seem very healthy to go outside. Yeah, it was quite a bipolar week. We went from, for those of you that are not in the Northwest, we went from heavy smoke to pouring rain in the span of 48 hours. It was, the rain was needed, but 100%. it was just a very, very odd week it's <laughs> to, to think that those odd. things happened in the same week. And not only that, Saturday, not this Saturday, but the week, week ago, Saturday, it was 85 degrees in Tacoma, and the next Saturday, it was 48 degrees in Tacoma. That's, that's a pretty drastic change in a week. It is. But even if it's raining out, Bobby, which it's going to do this week, make sure to get your give your eyes a rest. I will. Computer, good old, I will. I might good go for ones tomorrow. and zeros. I have a climbing class tomorrow as well, tomorrow evening. Good, so good. I'll be getting out, get out going. But yeah, I'm feeling it, feeling a little cabin fever for sure. Yeah, it's too early for that. It's only October. I know. Oh my gosh, <laughs> what a what a winter I have ahead of me. Yeah. What about you, John? Yeah, uh, you had a kind of a fun thing that happened this week. You want to talk about that for a second? I did. I uh, so as people know, I'm a big Blazers fan, big NBA fan. And I have not been to a Blazers game in live in probably, I'm trying to remember. I think it's been four years about 
about four years, let's say. It was definitely pre-pandemic. Um, and so a couple months ago, I bought tickets to opening night to kind of spoil myself. Say, you know what? I haven't bought, I haven't been to an NBA game in years. Like, I'm going to kind of spend up for this and go to opening night, see that, you know, electric atmosphere, which it certainly was. And I got treated to a game of the Blazers versus the Suns. Um, overtime thriller. Blazers won. Um, but I was um I was really there for all of the off court like note taking and just getting a sense of what what an NBA game is like in person rather than on TV. What can you pick up on? And it's such a different game. And I, I took a lot of notes, so I won't go through them all here, you but actually I'll just share a couple notes. things. I took like I took mental notes um, and wrote them down on my phone when I came back home at the end of the night. Unbelievable. That's, Love that. That's how dedicated I am to the content on this podcast. Um, so one thing that I wanted to point out, the first thing is, you know, when you watch game highlights, uh, like during or after the game on social media. I didn't I never realized maybe this maybe everyone else knows this and I was just living under a rock, but I never realized that they actually speed those up ever so slightly um, compared to what like real live time pace of the game is. Did you know that, Bobby? No, no, not at all. I've never been to an NBA okay. game. Okay. There were there were several I didn't know if like maybe from college basketball, like March Madness, they do the same thing, but like there were several plays that obviously like i saw in person you know highlight dunks steals that kind of thing um i went home later that night watched them on social media and i'm like this is sped up like this this did not happen at that speed um when i was you know just two hours ago in the arena watching that same exact thing happen does that feel like is that a perception uh, thing or do you think they actually speed it up well i so my wife, Christy, was there, too, and, and I showed it to her. I was like, there's no way that this is that it was this quick. And she agreed with me. Um, and we tried to, like, do some research on it, actually, of like basically Googling, like, do they speed up highlight videos? And I, we didn't find, like, anything official, like nothing from mm -hmm. the NBA. But there were definitely, like, random Reddit posts and that kind of thing. That's like, yeah, they they typically they can do that sometimes and not that they're speeding up like one and a half times but like maybe they're speeding up 10 percent, like just ever so slightly um because it, it did feel different but that was one thing i learned interesting uh -oh. i'm interested to see like if i'm able to go to a blazers game and get that same perspective that you did because i'm interested to see because i don't know if you'd be able like you can explain it to me but i don't know like I couldn't visualize what that would actually look like in real life slowed down. I'd have to see it. Yeah. And I don't know if they do it with other sports too, you know, like sometimes in baseball, you'll see those highlights of somebody like rounding the bases where it's clearly sped up a little bit. What? No, I don't, I don't necessarily agree <laughs> with that. I've been to many, many games and major league baseball games and uh, watched many on the television and uh i don't know if i would agree with that i'm pretty sure i've seen some that are sped up. all right all right but anyway um another thing that i watched was um 
there are, and I didn't really realize is there are so many like assistant coaches, physical trainers, data analytics, people that are behind the bench by the players than I ever remember before, which like to me makes sense with kind of the analytics revolution we've had. But like there are more multiple people that let's be honest to be nice to them they don't look like they ever played professional basketball. You know? They contribute they look in like, their own way, John. They look like you and I, all right? They're like under six feet. Um, They're white. You know, white. They have an iPad in their hand. Uh, and I was just, I never remember seeing that at games like growing up or even the last game I went to. And they're just like packed into those benches. I mean, that's always been a thing where like, you know, the big six foot, 10 guys are like shoulder to shoulder on these tiny little chairs. I'm that's never made a lot of sense to me. Um, but anyway, like it's, it's even more packed. I feel like now and they, the coaching staff and analytics staff takes up yeah, get, a lot of room. They have to take out the whole first row just for the whole team's coaching staff and an analytic group. Yeah. And it was like at timeouts, what was funny is there'd be, you know how the, player's bench is like right by a tunnel usually yeah yep, yep. to get into the arena at timeouts there would be more people that would come out of the, or the out of the tunnel that were also coaches and <laughs> just like what where are all these people like there must have been 20 people on the head coach's staff that were all like and you could tell because they were all wearing the same exact um you know like coaches outfit coaches uniform thing um and i was just like man like why don't i have a job in the nba already like they clearly hire a million people for each team you had a chance Uh, you had your chance i know i was like are they taking anyone i don't know we'll see goals but um, once they get to the second row maybe you'll your opportunity will will arise that was something interesting um Another thing was like I had a straight shot at the general manager and the owner uh, and like the so the the general manager, the owner and then the president of like the business operations, they all sit next to each other and I I could see them the whole game and that was pretty interesting to watch like the entire pyramid of command, hierarchy of command for the organization. Were you like see. flashing posters on directions on how to move with the organization? What yeah, transactions no, I, I should make? You're like, hey. No, I actually had a blown up for image of my. I had a blown up image of my resume. Oh, I see. And Naturally. was just holding that and trying to get their attention. Any any messages? Um, LinkedIn connections? Nothing. Haven't gotten any yet, but you know, it's not Monday yet. That's right. It's Tomorrow morning, I'm sure days. there'll be a lot in my inbox. Um, but yeah, it's interesting how they like, I'm sure they're kind of instructed or it's kind of like an unwritten rule that they can't like cheer and like get up and yell and that kind of thing. Um, especially like the general manager, he was just like, he was so calm and composed the whole time. Like, and this was an overtime game where like, you know, crazy call foul calls and crazy shots are being made and stuff. And it wasn't until the very end of the game that he finally broke character. And I, I had to give that a big smile. I was like, ah, we finally got him. We finally got him. Dude, you ever seen baseball GMs? They're like the most fanatic fans. I think it's a little different when you're like up in a press box. 
and you're kind of like in your suite as opposed to in this situation they were courtside right behind the basket and so the players can see them the whole time i don't know i mean maybe it's not a universal rule i mean steve ballmer i guess is goes crazy during as out of his mind yeah he owns the whole team (laughs) maybe it's just a portland uh, ownership thing yeah maybe they just don't but it was interesting i I was thinking like if i were in their shoes there's no way i could stay that like level-headed the Mm. whole game and there it is that's why you're not in their shoes john that's why i'm just too emotional but uh yeah i and then i think the other really rewarding thing just from like an on-court standpoint is being able to detect where a play is going like you kind of are able to see what they're trying to set up in a way that i'm not able to see on tv as easily Mm. where you kind of like your peripheral vision you know you see more of the players moving around uh and it's just a different perspective and you can kind of tell oh this is what they're this is what they're going for and then you can also catch mistakes too and then you can watch like the coach calling out the plays doing the hand signals to the players and then the players making eye contact with the coach or with each other and that's stuff that you don't see on TV. Like you don't see that eye contact or those hand signals on TV almost ever. So do you think so that was really cool? So you think your experience in person is better than viewing at home? Because I think some sports are better as far as the viewing experience is uh, at home on a television. I think football probably is a better experience at home. Um, actually viewing mm-hmm. the game. You know, some people could argue, well, it's it's not about that. It's about the atmosphere and tailgating and being there with the fans. And, but if you actually want to watch the game, I think like being at home with your 55 inch, whatever TV is going to be much better. What about the NBA? Do you like, how do you feel? Do you think it's a much better viewing experience if you're actually into the game um, in person or at home? I think it honestly depends a little bit on where you're sitting, like how good of a view you have, how close you are. Sure. Um, but in general. I would say like if you're if your nose bleeds, it's probably similar to watching on TV just because the angle of the court that you're looking at is not going to be as good as the TV cameras are showing you. But I would say for the most part, the majority of the seats uh, in person is better just because you pick up on those contextual clues like you see the mistakes, you mm-hmm. see that communication that I was talking about and like. You can also see if somebody's just overwhelmed out there. Like it really stands oh, out in person. They they played a bench guy who was like completely overmatched. And it was like you could just tell. I mean, he's huffing and puffing, his face is red, and he's just like like I wanted to pull him out of the game and be like, dude, you like we need to save you. <laughs> like you are getting killed out there. Um and and it's it's kind of that you don't see that on TV as much. Like you see some of the mistakes that they make in terms of the plays, but you don't see the fact that they're like gasping for air. Right. No, oh, that's good. Dude, I, I love that. So. I mean, I I think like Major League Baseball, I love going to games. I would rather be at a live game than watch it on TV. But there are certain things like um like pitch selection and pitch location. Like you just can't you're never gonna be able to actually see uh, in person, you just can't see the movement of pitches and the location, and uh, like 
how they're setting up batters, that's something you'll never be able to tell really um, in person, or at least not as well, not nearly as well as on television. But just like you like you're talking about now, all of those little niche things that you notice uh, in person add to that experience. And so um, that's why I prefer baseball games in person. It sounds like the NBA is pretty similar. You get to see all the little details that you just can't see um, through a camera lens. I think there's also like you get an appreciation for the level of athletes that you're talking about. Oh, and like how even the least athletic looking guy on an NBA team is way more athletic, like probably the most athletic person you've ever met. Yeah, still in, in the life, top 1% you know? like, of humanity. Just the the amount of movement and the quickness and just the unrelenting, they're always in motion. And on TV, sometimes it looks like they're stationary. But like I think the way that the NBA has developed, especially in the last few years, it's so much faster paced. And you just you get more of an appreciation for like how exhausting that it is to play defense at a high level in sure. the NBA because you're constantly fighting over screens, you know, doing figure eights all over the court, you know, over and over and over and over again, um, just to keep a guy from getting a clean shot off. And it might not even so, matter. It might not, yeah, it might not matter. So, and then the last thing is I've met a couple NBA players like up close years ago that were seven feet tall, but I will never get used to seeing a seven footer up close. Like it's just, there's something about it. Shock to the just system. Looks so un, it looks so unnatural. And then the way that they move too, like for being that big and to be able to be so quick on the court is just like, these guys are, truly unicorns out there and i mean that in the nicest way maybe the blazers can tank themselves in the ground and get that french guy Wembenyanya, whatever his name is and you can see a seven four guy out there moving like he shouldn't i know like take it up even another level but i I got to watch deandre ayton and he is a massive oh they're playing the suns nice he's just he's built you know he's really muscular um he's everything about him is just like supersized um and yet he moves so fast like not just i'm not talking about like running in a straight line but i mean like lateral movement and it's just like wow like no like he was he was created in a lab to play this game yeah, like you couldn't have could have made it more perfect pretty much spectacle so anyway those are my notes it was cool it was fun um if you are in a city where there's a tanking basketball team, go get yourself some nice seats uh, that cheap, are a little hopefully. bit cheaper. That are a little bit cheaper than they would normally be if they were a good team, because um, it's a pretty fun experience to watch them that close. And certainly not your last experience. Certainly not. Maybe I'll treat myself to that once a year. Once a year, like you're, this is not going to be the only game you go to, right? No, I just meant like. In terms of sitting, oh, how sitting close, close you were! Yeah, cause you were like, yeah. it looked like you were like in the tenth row. I was about, yeah, about the tenth row. I mean, I was behind like three rows of coaches, so <laughs> it might have well been the Order seventh of row. The if attendance there were... was just the coaching staff, right? But no, that was cool to watch them interact with the players too. Well, 
the NBA uh, is more than just the Portland Trailblazers, John. How was the first week of the NBA season? Who's looking good and who's not looking good? Yeah, we'll start with the not looking good. The Philadelphia 76ers, who, if you will recall, just one week ago, I said they would have the best regular season record in the East. They have not won a game yet. They're 0-3. It's very bizarre. They, They have had a gauntlet of a schedule. They've started out against the Celtics. And then, who did they play after that? They played... The I'm doing this off the top of my head. They played the Bucks, Celtics and Bucks, which are like basically those three teams are arguably the top three teams in the East, right? So they started out their year on a really tough schedule, but they lost both of those games, and then they lost an embarrassing game to the Spurs. Yeah, and so they're zero and three, and I was at home too. Joel and Embiid. I watched two of these games. I watched the Bucks game and the Celtics game. Joel Embiid does not look in MVP form. Mm, like he was and I don't know if enough. that's, yeah, and I don't know if that's just like shaking off dust at the beginning of the season or if that's just like age is starting to get get there to him. I mean, I think he's 30, 29, 30. Um which for a big, you know, big seven footer is, who's as yeah. physical as he is, that you're kind of right at your peak at that age. Um, James Harden looks really good, which is the funny part because James Harden's older, <laughs> but he's a guard, which so it's a different position. Um, so it's just for Philly fans, I kind of feel for them because it's like it seems like you can never have both of those players at their like top form at the same time it's kind of one or the other it's kind of like that it seems with a lot of teams you know they get these super groups together these duos and trios and so on and then inevitably one or two of them just has a terrible year instead of them just both having an average year like an average year for them i mean the nets have been going through that philadelphia continues to go through that super strange like all you need i mean you know, technically the Lakers with AD, LeBron, and Russ, if you had them at just their average ability, should be enough to carry a team to at least a playoff spot, and certainly that has not worked out. Well, that's a great transition, Bobby, because the Lakers are also 0-3. They also have had a hard schedule. They started out against the Warriors, the defending champs, and then they played... um... Clippers? (sighs) Now I'm blanking. Yes, Clippers on Thursday night. So, and then Blazers today, where my lovely Portland Trail Blazers stole one in LA in front of that crowd. That was great. But the the Lakers, the expectations were not as high this year because everyone saw what they were with Russell Westbrook last year, mm. and they kind of tweaked around the edges of this roster, but they really didn't make any significant moves in the off season. So to expect them to be much better than last year is a little silly in my opinion. Um, yeah. But you know, you thought, you thought they were going to maybe be a little better and they, well, they're 0 and three. Well, I think, you know, with what I just said, you know, if you have AD LeBron both healthy and playing majority of the games, like they're both good enough. They should be able to carry a team to a playoff spot, but they just really don't have any depth. I mean, Russ is still fine. Like the guy is still if you 
you get 15, 7, and 7 out of a player, would you think that player is a bad player? No, you'd say that they're an no, average say starter. they're pretty good. But then after that, I mean, like, like Lonnie Walker, you know, like that's a, one of their biggest weapon outside of that. I mean, Patrick Beverly is certainly like he's a defensive guy. He's not there for any offensive contribution. And yeah, like you really go down their lineup and it's it's just really light. And I know like I feel like they didn't add anything to add value to the perimeter and their outside shooting is still like just non-existent. And mm-hmm. that, that's a huge problem in today's game. So, yeah, I mean, Patrick Beverly was their biggest acquisition. And when you think of the season they had last year, you're like, well, that's probably not enough. The pessimistic view is they're playing much better on defense. LeBron and AD are both playing really well and healthy, and they still haven't won a game. Yeah. Well, they've had three <laughs> that's the tough teams view. and three pretty close games. I mean, they were starting to get blown out by Golden State, but yeah. they brought it back. They closed game against Clipper, uh, the Clippers, and obviously Dame, Dame had his his moment to steal that game. So, yeah, they'll probably still make the playoffs. But yeah, they're just not a. I don't know how LeBron could be like, we're going to contend for a championship. Hell no, obviously not. Yeah, I think they'll get saved by the Bell. When it comes to the trade deadline, I think a team will that's trying to get Victor Wembanyama will help him out and take Russ off their hands for a couple draft picks. Agreed. But you know, we'll see. Nothing guaranteed. On the good side of things, the two leading teams in the Western Conference, Bobby, I'm sure you had this on your board a week ago. The Utah Jazz and the Portland Trailblazers are the only undefeated that, teams. Huh? The only undefeated teams in the West Western Conference. I think Portland. Um, it's like three zero start that happens. Utah was projected to be like the worst team in the NBA and certainly the Western Conference, and they immediately came out and stuck it to Denver, who I think you picked as your number one. And I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of people pick Denver as being the number one seed out in the West. So uh, very odd for Utah to just come out that strong, come out swinging, guns blazing. There's all sorts of great memes out there about, uh, you know, taking pictures of Danny Ainge, who's their GM, saying with the caption of like, what have I done? <laughs> because like it was pretty apparent this offseason they're going to tank to get Webb and Yama. And it's like every win and matters when you're trying to get a championship. Right. But every loss matters if you're trying to tank like this is three games off the board that they can't lose. But- <laughs> I but the NBA is a little different in the sense that it is based on a lottery. So if then the top bottom it fifteen is. or bottom ten teams, yes, technically the odds are in favor of whoever the worst team is, but it's still a lottery at the end of the day. Bobby, let me be dramatic, okay? Okay. Let me have Sorry. my small sample size drama. Take a step okay? back. Uh, Did you say I... they were the only? By the way, the only undefeated teams was the Blazers and Jazz in the West. Okay. And then in the East, it's Boston and Milwaukee. Yes. Which is not surprising at all. Boston still looks like a title contender. Yeah. And, you know, I understand with all the drama with their head coach, but like, and Robert Williams is going to be out till February. Yeah. But like, this is a team that made the finals last year. And, you know, they put it to Golden State in the first couple of games. Then their youth kind of showed and their experience. But now they're a more experienced group. Not. Not in like in general, this core has been together for a while, but they're a more experienced group in the sense that they've played 
higher leverage games. They've been to the finals. They've been through the East. And yeah, their coach is gone and Robert Williams is out. And there's questions about is their defense going to still be as strong? But yeah, like people get just so dramatic and extreme. Like, oh, the, the Celtics, I don't know, six, seven C. That's like a lot of the predictions I saw. Um, JJ Reddick's podcast, like they were having the Celtics towards the bottom, towards the five, six, seven seed. And I'm like, man, I don't like, we really feel like they're just going to fall off like that. I don't think mm-hmm. so. I don't think so either. I think I had them second or third in my, my rankings last week. But yeah, that's a little it's a little tour down the top and the bottom of the league. And since it's only been three games for everyone, obviously the majority of the teams have a two and one or a one and two record. So there's not a lot to talk about there. What's but. your biggest takeaway from the first week? If you could think of one thing, biggest takeaway. Mm. Biggest takeaway of the first week. Uh, probably that the teams that swung big so far, I think, got to feel pretty good about themselves. And so I'm talking about like the the Cleveland um, Cavaliers getting Donovan Mitchell. He looks really good. And, you know, that team looks good. And then the Timberwolves, aside from losing to the Jazz somehow. Um, Everybody's losing they... to Jazz. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. They look pretty good, so like, yeah, I'd say those two teams that really swung for the fences so far, it's been working out for them, and and then also like Golden State and the Clippers are just so deep. Yeah, I mean, yeah, especially the Clippers, they, they can't find enough playing time for the players that they have, which it's like an embarrassment of riches. So week one down, obviously only three games, not a lot to tell, but still some stories out there. Stay tuned for more. Fun. All right, on to uh, we're going to go flip a 180 and go to the very end of the season for another sport for the MLB. Bobby, what happened in the last week in our uh, ALCS and NLCS? A lot of things. I mean, the, the ALDS wrapped up this week, too. So right. ALDS, NLCS and ALCS all wrapped up in the same seven day, not even five, six day span quick very quick um so last time we spoke not necessarily a good thing the yankees were in the midst of a game five with the guardians game five got rained out they played the next day yankees prevailed as they should one five one but then because that was tuesday night the start of the alcs started on wednesday so they really didn't get to celebrate immediately had to get on flight and go straight to houston and um Oh, I saw them celebrating. I saw the champagne. They did, you know, but it's not the same. Like, they celebrate in the lock, locker room, and then, you know, you you go out, and you, you have a bender or whatever the hell they do. I don't know. <laughs> they weren't able to do that. They celebrated for an hour or two. They had to clean up, get packed, straight on a plane that night, red eye to Houston. So, and then play the next day against the Houston team that's been resting for whatever, three or four days. And... um Man, I don't know what else to say. They didn't show up. Yankees left New York after that ALDS. Um, technically in body, but uh, everything else, I think, stayed there because um, they did not travel with anything. They struck out 30 times in the first two games, um, which I believe is a record. I'm just assuming that's a record. 
they had a strikeout in the first three games at a strikeout rate of, I believe, over 50% through all first three games. Um, game three, we got shut out, 5 nothing. Only got three hits. No runs, obviously. And um, so game four was tonight. We weren't down 3-0. We lost game one, two, and three. And uh, last chance, keep it alive. There's only been one team in the history of baseball that's come back from a 3-0 deficit, which I will not talk about. And, um, man, uh, I've never seen so many things go wrong for a team uh, that it did in game four for the Yankees. Uh, everything. Everything went wrong. They got they jumped up to a three nothing lead. They're at home. It's hype. Uh, immediately, one of their star pitchers, their best pitcher probably in my mind, uh, walks two batters and gives up a three run home run tie game immediately. And then it gets pulled out of the game. And maybe some injury concerns there. And okay, fine, three three. And then immediately one of our best relievers gives up three straight hits and then gives up the lead. Just like that. Um. We battled back and got the lead. And then uh, some of the crazy events I've ever seen. I mean, when you think about when a team is just destined to do something, like this is an example of that. The Astros were destined to make the World Series. And there was absolutely nothing that was going to stop them from making the World Series. It did not matter. They're losing the seventh inning. Jose Altuve hits this just cheap little dribbler of a hit to the right side but because of the shift is able to technically beat it out but it was it was basically an exact tie and then kind of the rule of thumb in baseball is tie goes to the runner so the throw was thrown over to the pitcher covering first base pitcher steps on first base the exact moment Altuve step steps on first base so Altuve gets a single that probably went 40 feet one out still next batter hits a tailor made ground ball to our second baseman, Gleyber Torres, for a double play. Straight at him. Didn't even have to move. And it goes to underhand the ball about five feet and completely misses the player and just throws it into left field. I've never seen that before. I've never seen a player have a throwing error on an underhand toss. And that would have ended the inning. And then wouldn't you know it? The Astros get four straight hits to take the lead. And then we go nine up, nine down to finish the game and get swept by the Astros. Games one and two could have been in hand. Um, those are games we could have won. Um, arguably game one, maybe not. Game two, absolutely. And it just didn't happen. I could talk till my face was red about how the Yankees lost. Um, but the summary is basically that everything went wrong for them everything they didn't have pitching necessarily first two games is okay bullpen was bad they couldn't hit starting pitching was was good relatively right relatively okay the last two games maybe not so much bullpen wasn't um defense wasn't base running wasn't hitting wasn't and then on top of that there's a luck factor Okay, to win a championship, you have to have a couple things go your, go your way. You have to have preparation, you have to have execution, and you have to have luck. And I think any champion will tell you that. And the Yankees didn't seem to be prepared. They certainly didn't execute. And then on top of that, 
they had absolutely horrendous luck and the Astros had absolutely fantastic luck. So when you combine all those things, um, that equals a series sweep and that's what happened. And I'm not saying the Astros uh, aren't deserving. They're an excellent team. Very good. Um, but man, like when you talk about the luck factor that they had to come through and certain things to happen in the ways they did. And it just did every single time. Like that's incredible. And I text John this like, I've never like this game four. I've never seen anything like it. Every time the Astros got down, something crazy happened to get them the lead every single time. Things that just usually don't happen happened. The only moment it could happen. And it just did, you know, maybe, Maybe instead of trash cans, they're now using magnets. Yeah, dude. A magnet on the ball. I mean, no hard hit balls, but they just, it was the same thing with Cleveland. I've never seen a team get destroyed more than the Yankees by infield hits. Incredible. But again, so, all these things combined. Do you think that fatigue, like both physical and mental, showed up quite a bit? Or like, did the players look like they just played a 160 game season and then had no rest once they started the series against Cleveland? Um, no, I don't think physically they were necessarily in a bad spot. I think they're fine. I think mentally they, this was one of the weaker teams mentally that I've ever seen. And I'm not just talking about the Yankees, but we're talking about a team that started off on a historic pace. The first, I don't know, two, two-thirds-ish of the season. They were the best team in baseball and maybe the best team in the history of baseball. And then after that, they became one of the worst teams in baseball for six weeks. I mean, just like that, like flipping a switch. And that doesn't happen just because of injuries. Injuries we had, okay, and that compounded issues. And we talked about the series against the Astros. Two players, you know, we struck out so much. Two players that would negate it. Some of that was Andrew Benintendi and DJ LeMahieu, who were both injured. Those are both our starters. Both guys that are high on base, high contact. They put the ball in play, and we're missing both of them. So that didn't help. But mentally, we just seemed so, so weak. So weak. Anytime anything happened, it just compounded um, with pretty much everybody. Um. Yeah, so I don't think physically there was any issues, but I do think mentally there was. And I don't just think it was fatigue. Sure, that's that. But I just think mental strength in general was a huge issue with this team. Mm-hmm. Next question for you, and I'm not trying to uh, I'm not trying to rail on, on your boy. So Aaron Judge, probably going to get MVP, batted 311 this season. He's a career 284 batter. He had one hit in the ALCS. Yep. So yeah, he didn't show like, up against what Cleveland do you think? too. Yeah, he he had uh, let's see four hits against Cleveland in five games. Batted two hundred. It it's not great, but it's the postseason. Um, he had eleven strikeouts in that series. Um, but like those two series combined, you know, fourteen strikeouts and five hits. What? What's going on? You got in a slump at the worst time. I, I I think he was pressing so much to get 62 towards the end of the season. Because if you look back a couple weeks, 
um, for the final weeks of the season. He he was pretty awful then too. He was batting like 200. His strikeouts were creeping up. His walks were um, not as high. Um, obviously, he only hit two home runs in his final 14 games. So I think that really affected his approach um, and his mental state going into the playoffs. And I had hoped that like the four or five days off between the end of the regular season, the beginning of the postseason would help him, but he only got worse. And you know, you're pitching, you're also facing Cleveland and Houston who are like the top three pitching staffs in major league baseball. So um, another thing compounding there. Yeah. I mean, he didn't show up. It's as simple as that, you know, before the ALCS, I had said, you know, we need a couple things. Um, We need Garrett Cole to be excellent. And I had texted you before, too. I'd said, look, we don't need Aaron Judge to be good against Cleveland to win that series. And that was true. I said, but we need him against Houston. Um, He was arguably worse against Houston. And Mm -hmm. so those couple things are bullpen. Um, Garrett Cole did not show up when we needed him in game three. And uh, Aaron Judge, I mean, fitting, too. He was the last out, and he just hit a little dribbler back to the pitcher. So do you think that we'll talk about this obviously a lot in the off season, but do you think that this impacts is the, the leverage he has with the Yankees in terms of a contract number? I think it's a good question. It's like, something I've been thinking of because Brian Cashman is ruthless. I mean, he's very famously been outspoken um, against his own players and critical of them. And very famously had, that conversation with Derek Jeter and say to tell him that there was four other shortstops in the league that he would rather have above Derek Jeter uh, when they were in contract negotiations. So yeah, I could absolutely see Brian Cashman going in there like, well, yeah, you had a great season, but you didn't do anything in the postseason. You struck out 20 plus times. You hit below 200. Um, you hit three home runs, but you only had one hit in the LCS. Uh, yeah, I absolutely do think they'll bring that in for sure. Because that's how that's who Brian Cashman is. But it seems like from what I know about him, he he's probably just as hard on himself, right? Like he's not going to. Yeah, of course. But make excuses about that. And he also is not a doormat. He's not going to allow Brian Cashman to say like, well, yeah, 311. You almost had the triple crown, 62 home runs. But, you know, in these last two weeks, the postseason, when it really counted, you weren't there. Judge going to be like, I get that. However. That is not that is a small sample size, and you know what I do for this team, and you're not going to take money and years away from me because of that two weeks. It's just not going to work like that. Judge will put his foot down. Mm-hmm. So we'll see where contract he, negotiations go. Yeah, his postseason batting average. Just looking this up, two sixteen. Um, again, it's against the best pitchers in the league in the playoffs yeah, he's never um, really shown up in the postseason i don't care what anybody else says like i've watched him his whole career um he's always been really high k rate in the postseason i think i sent you a stat after the first series but he if you would stretched his k rate across 162 game season he would strike out 270 times i believe mm-hmm. so yeah he's never really shown up in the postseason yeah, I'm just curious how that that plays out because I I don't think it'll affect the number he's able to get. I think 29 other teams will be like, yeah, we don't care. We'll we'll still give you 
X number, but I just do wonder if the Yankees say like, we're going to, we're going to take it down like one little tick yeah. from maybe what you thought it would I be. I would say yes. I think Brian and Cashman and the Yankees choose, will do that. He has to choose like, do I want slightly more money in Texas or do I want to stay with the Yankees? What I will say is that their offer certainly will go up from what it was in the preseason. It has to, mm-hmm. but I do think that they will bring it down just a little bit because of his performance in the postseason. I do think that'll be a factor. And remind us what the offer was in the preseason. Uh, I believe it was seven years to 14. I believe. Okay. Yeah. Seven years to 14. So I think, you know, I'm just speaking out of my ass here. He's another year older. Maybe eight years is what they'll get him at. I think he wants 10 years, but it's just so old. So eight years at, I don't know, 36 million, something. I think he wants to make more than Trout. I think that's the big thing. So maybe 37 million, something like that. So what would that put him at? Roughly like 265 or eight years, 265, something like that. You know what's crazy is that you mentioned like 36, 37 million. Also looking at his baseball reference page here, he's made $39 million in his entire career. What's like, so man? So he's going to go from, he's going to go from, you know, basically his entire career earnings in the first six years of his career, he'll make that in one season, roughly one season. It's arbitration years. It's baseball for you. Yeah. So no other league is quite like that. Yeah, baseball's weird with its salaries for sure. I mean, arbitration in general is a strange thing. But we won't get so your season is over. I'm sorry, Bobby. Yeah, man, it sucks. I'm not gonna lie. Like, um as a Yankees fan, you you're not wait till next year. You know, you're it's now. It's now. And especially with this core, like it's a lot of it's been wait till next year. Uh, we've gotten to the ALCS a number of times all against Houston and 2019 really felt like the year. I think we were the best team in baseball, um, but things didn't go our way. And arguably Houston was still cheating and even at a worse, um, at a worse advantage or a better advantage for them. But since then, like it just hasn't felt like we've had the mental fortitude to push past Houston. So we we got to figure it out, man, because we're just not a wait till next year team. Like it's got to be this year. Like we got to get Judge back, but that's that can't be it. Like we got some other things we got to figure out, and we got to get some we got to get some mental fortitude. And I've been behind Aaron Boone for a while. We got a contract extension, but I'm starting to think that maybe he's not the guy. Maybe he's not the guy. Um, we can get into that another time, but um, the team's a direct reflection of its leadership. And when I say they're mentally weak, well, there's somebody to point to there. So real quick, we'll talk about it a lot in the offseason, but just like rapid fire off the top of your head, if you could wave a magic wand, what is the one thing you would do to this team, whether it's a transaction or, you know, like just, just one thing to improve them overnight. Oh God. All the power in the world. There's more than one thing. So that's hard. 
and Aaron Judge is obviously like if I was gonna say the easiest easiest one is just re-sign Aaron Judge, lock him up. But I think that's a guarantee. So outside of that, uh, man, we we really have to go out and we have to get some bat high on base, high contact bat consistent low strikeout rate we need a guy at the top of that order that's going to be able to be on base put the ball in play third base is a huge hole for me to be honest and there's a bunch of issues that a bunch of ways that we could probably fix that without going out and getting somebody else but like nolan arenado could opt out of his contract and then he's on the market but is he too old i don't know and he'd be if we assign aaron judge is that too expensive but uh, like getting a guy like him, I think would just be incredible for us. If we could somehow make like, if we get judge and we could get Arenado, like, holy shit, that'd be incredible. But I think the more pressing thing is that we just need to have, we need to have a bullpen. We need to have a closer. So, you know, third base is a huge hole, but our bullpen is probably the biggest area. If I have to wave, wave a wand, um, and fix something, it's our bullpen, and having an elite closer, we have to have that. We're It's not going to be successful if we don't. Okay. We'll see if they do that in the offseason. They have to. Absolutely have to. Okay. Well, better luck next year, I guess. Is that what people say in times like this? That's what weak people say, John. <laughs> I'm trying to console you. Let me wallow. Let me wallow. I'll come out of it. All right. All right. Um, on the other side of things in the NL, the Phillies are going to the World Series the first time in a long time since Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins were gracing the city of Philadelphia, um, which was, you know, I was in middle school probably <laughs> when they did their World Series trip. Uh, was that like 2007 or something like that? 2008, 2009. 2008, yeah. So end of middle school, early high school for me. Anyway, so they they beat the Padres. The end, the Padres magical run that they had, and four to one. It it felt closer than that, right? No, you would agree? no, I don't agree. I really feel like the Phillies were by far the strongest team. Okay, to me it felt closer, but. I I also didn't watch the games in quite as much detail. Um, we had a three-run game, a two-run game, a four-run game, and a one-run game. So, yeah, maybe, depends on what your perspective of close is, I guess. But what did you see in this series? Dude, the Phillies are clicking. They're they're they are clicking on offense, and this is something we talked about the last series. And it's continued. It continued into the NLCS. Um, they look strong. I mean, Bryce Harper is a man on a mission. If you take away one thing away from this NLCS is that Bryce Harper, he wants that damn ring. The dude is hitting above 400. He's got like an OPS of 1600 in the postseason. He's got five home runs. Uh, six home runs maybe total. He's got five in the NLCS alone. And big home runs, big hits. Many of his hits either tied the game or gave his team the lead. It's incredible. And Reese Hoskins, the guy was doing nothing. 
And then all of a sudden, he hits four home runs in the NLCS. Kyle Schwarber's hitting balls to the moon. This is a scary offensive team. And is a team that I think is going to give Houston a run for their money. Their offense is no joke. And this is something I think people kind of thought they would be at the beginning of the season. uh, And then it just didn't pan out. And now everything's like their vision has finally come to fruition at the perfect time. Uh, Their defense is still shit, but um, their offense is exactly what they had hoped it to be, finally, and their pitching is overperforming. Look out for this team, and that's why I say, like, I really felt like, uh, I didn't feel like a close series to me. Uh, I really felt like Philly had that uh, in control, and they really could have, they should have won game two. They were up 4-0 in that game, and uh, Andres came back, so it could have been a clean sweep. You take a pretty optimistic look at them. I mean, just the sentiment that I found online was they're going to be heavy, heavy underdogs. No way, man. In the in this series, but you say it's different. Yeah, I think it'll be a series. I think the game. I think the series will be six seven. I think ultimately Houston's going to win. I think it, they're just inevitable. It feels like at this point, and their starting rotations just too damn good. Um, but Philly's offense is, I think, way better than Houston's, and. Their bullpen's pretty damn good, and I think the way their bullpen is performing right now is better than Houston's. So if Philly can get to some of their starters, my cat is trying to open up cabinets to get my attention. Uh, always, always making cameos on the podcast. Yeah, I think the Phillies uh, will make uh, make a run of it. Yeah, I think they're going to get a couple games off Houston. Okay. That's interesting. That's bold. I mean, it you got the the elite of the elite starting pitching against a really hot offense. So super hot. The only thing now that I'm thinking about it though is be, they have five days before the World Series starts, and I think that benefits Houston because you're resting your pitchers, and hitters need to keep in a rhythm. Like if they're hot, they need to keep going. And now you're going to have them sit for five days. So that could be something to look out for. But I still have confidence that the Phillies are going to compete. Okay. And this series is going to be played in Houston to start? Yeah. Yeah. Houston's got home field. Okay. Seven game series. You think it's going to go six or seven? I do. I think off the top of my head, I think just thinking of pitching matchups. I'm going to go on a limb. I'm saying Houston in seven. Houston seven. I think Verlander is going to have a bad start in there. Wow. Okay. Not a believer in in Grandpa Verlander. I'm going to say six games. I, I'm toying between five and six games on my end. For Houston? Um, I just, yeah. Um, I just don't see the Phillies starting pitching doing them many favors but i mean zach wheeler's really good outside of nolan wheeler uh ranger suarez has been pretty damn good in the postseason too so i don't know i mean if you throw out Syndergaard for a start like you you probably have some issues there but maybe they go three-man rotation who knows and hopefully they don't deal with all the rainouts because that's kind of messing with off days and and how people are setting up the rotations. Hopefully the weather holds out. Well, Houston should be fine, right? But yeah, but it's Philadelphia. Just what Philly, 
Yeah. I mean, the Northeast yeah. is just getting pounded by weather and storm fronts the last couple of weeks. And and we should also talk about like the experience of these teams because Philly, despite not being in the playoffs for like a decade, they do have a lot of players with experience. I mean, mm-hmm. Bryce Harper, World Series 2019. Bryce Harper um, was not on that team. Was that the that was the year after he left? Correct. Damn. Um, He's been in the playoffs many mind. times though with the Nats. Kyle Schwarber did win a World Series with the Cubs. Yep. Um, help me out. Who Syndergaard's else? Syndergaard's been team? to the World Series with the Mets, but that was you know seven years ago, and he was a rookie. Castellanos. Castellanos um, has been in the playoffs. I don't know if he's been in a World Series. I don't know how long he's. How long has he been in the league? Because the Tigers obviously were good in the early 2010s, and that's who he was on. And then he made the playoffs with the Reds in 2020, but I don't think he's got a terrible amount of playoff experience. Yeah. I'm looking up his postseason. It's Detroit 2014, Cincinnati 2020, just like you said. So, um. And obviously, like Aaron Nola has been a Philly his whole career. Zach Wheeler, has he been in on the Mets deep in the playoffs? Might have been that twenty fifteen. Like Reese Hoskins is a Philly guy. JT Real Muto came from the Marlins, so certainly no experience there. Yeah, Brandon Marsh from the Angels again. No, that's a big no. So yeah, I mean, not a lot. So I guess it Robertson, is lopsided. David Robertson's a guy. You know, he was on He's the Yankees so for a while, at this point. so he, I think he might have been that 20, 2009 team, maybe, that won the World Series. He's been ar- I don't know if he's... He's been around forever. He's been around a while, so they got a few people. I, I certainly wouldn't say they're stacked with experience, but they have enough. Yeah, and then, obviously, the Astros have, you know, this, like, made-in-a-lab roster that has, you know, Verlander on one end... And Pena on the other end. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just like they span three generations on that team. Yeah, and they, they're just always there. This is their fourth World Series in six years that they've been to. And they've been in the ALCS the last six straight years. So this team is nothing but experienced. And it shows. Yeah. I mean, it absolutely shows. And that's, I just don't see them. I mean, I picked them. I think I picked them against the Braves last year, but sometimes it's it's not the best team. I keep saying that it's just the hot team, and I think the Phillies are the hot team. Houston hasn't looked great, you know. Yeah, they. The crazy thing is they haven't lost a postseason game, but they've at like their average win margin is like one and a half runs. They've won a couple, like a bunch of squeakers where things have just gone their way. And uh, I don't think Mm -hmm. that'll continue. Their offense really hasn't been that explosive. Pitching's good though. Yeah. Just wait until Carlos Correa returns to the Astros this offseason. Man, you think it no, Jeremy Pena's got that unlocked. He's not That's a good question though. Yeah. Where I mean we'll get into that. It, in the it's just a matter of uh if any of them could play in the outfield, because that's pretty much the only way. Or in first base, I guess, if you say, Hey Yuli Gurriel, you're old. Yeah, the platinum get out of here. glove winning shortstop is gonna play first base. Makes sense. Who knows, man? Maybe he misses his own. He's not going back. And they're certainly not going to pay him. They don't need him. So we should, when we record next week, 
well, we could either record in the middle of the series or we could wait until the series is over. Up to you, Bobby. No, I mean, let's keep going on our schedule, right? Okay. So when we record next week, we'll probably be like three games into the World Series. Two games, I think, because it starts on Friday. So Friday, game one, Saturday, game two, game, uh, then Sunday would be off day. So we'll have two games under our belt. Okay. So we'll know a little bit, but not a lot. We will. We will. I guess go Phillies. Yeah. I can't believe I'm saying that. Isn't it such a strange thing? Um, just a quick note before we let the people go. The Phillies, I think, were a team that people thought could make the World Series at the beginning of the year. And then halfway through the year, they're like, hell no. And at the end By of the year, manager. they're like, no, they squeaked in the playoffs. This is this team's going to be out the wildcard round. And then they're here facing the Astros. And But if you would have said seven months ago that the Phillies and Astros would be in the World Series, a lot of people would be like, yeah, I could see that. But then three months ago, they're like, there's absolutely no way. It's so strange, like the ebb and flow of the baseball season. Mm-hmm. And how about an AL East team being in the World Series again? NL East, John. NL East. Yeah, what is that? Three of the four years, last four years, has been an NL East team. They're going through each one. The Mets got to go next year. Right? The Mets got to go next year. They're going to try. They're going to spend as much money as they possibly can. I think they're going to be a worse team next year than they were this year. So I think the Braves have a pretty easy division division run next year. You You would think that Max Scherzer has to drop off at some point. I don't know, man. I would never count him out. I, I don't know if DeGrom will be back. I'm not 100% on that. And they're losing a couple of their players. You know, Brandon Nemo's a big guy that I think they're going to lose. And Edwin Diaz, I don't know if they'll keep. So they got a couple of big components that I don't think all of them are going to be back. I think they'll be worse. Bobby, did your cat just open another cabinet? No, he just screamed at me. You probably heard that. Oh, because I heard... I thought I heard the squeak of a door. Oh, no, that was him. <laughs> it sounded... Sounded like a horror yeah, movie. Yeah, he's upset that I'm not giving him attention. So he's like running through the bathroom, the kitchen, trying to open up cabinets because he knows that's a bad thing. Uh, and then he'll just yeah. come yell at me and then he'll go and run around again. Now he's getting the recycling. He's gonna he's trying to knock over a box. Nope, there he goes. Well, for this for the that. sake of for the sake of your the apartment, destroy my staying apartment. In, I need to in, go. In one piece, I'm gonna let you go. But thank you everyone for listening. I uh, hope you are enjoying both the beginning of the NBA season and the end of the MLB season, hockey, college football, NFL, whatever it is. If you're a Seahawks fan, they're in first place somehow. Somehow. They're four and three. Not a great record to be first place. One game over 500, but... It's got to be better than the rest. Yep. All right, everybody. All right. Where can the folks find us? Instagram and Twitter, at Yankee6 is me. And at Thorpe Theory is John. Have a wonderful week. Talk to you later, folks. Doodles.